0: Now let us, retu- let us look for a few moments at the portion of scripture of which we have read together in the book of the Acts of the Apostle, the 20th chapter, and we shall read again verse 26 and 20, verse 27. of the 20th chapter in the Acts of the Apostle. Therefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. <coughs> <coughs> These words were addressed to the elders in the church at ephesus the apostle paul had continued preaching and edifying the church at ephesus for three whole years he mentioned this in this chapter and if you read The epistle to the Ephesians, we will notice the depth to which the apostle goes in reminding them of what he had already taught. And some passages are so deep and so spiritual in that letter that we cannot be but surprised at writing such deep theological teaching to people who have just nearly been converted. And we find the apostle here reminding them what they are and what they are supposed to do. That is the elders of the church at Ephesus. Now it is uncertain uh, today what actually their duties were. Some in whom they were teaching elders and others that they were simply overseers. But overseeing does not mean that they were not of the flock, he reminds them that they were overseers of the flock, that they themselves were part of that flock, the flock belonged to Christ. He had purchased it with his own blood. And he testifies during his humiliation that that flock was given to him by the Father. And although they were given to me by the father, he says that they were still in the hands of the father. And no one could pluck them out of the father's hands. And it was for that flock, he says, that he was to lay down his slave. And he himself was to lay down. I have power. To lay down my life, and I have power to take it again. This commandment I have received from my Father. Now, in the verses we have selected for our meditation, you will notice, wherefore I take you, and these words are spoken to the elders at Ephesus. Now the word elder, just by the way, is equivalent to a bishop, a ruler, and the Anglican church and those who who have bishops in the church are finding this portion very awkward and they maintain that somehow the, the apostle uh, w- s- speaking to the elders would indicate that uh, that Ephesus was without a bishop at that time. Now that is not the case. Are uh, the the elders are the bishops or the overseers? And uh, and he reminds them of their first. And we shall first consider the responsibility of the ministers of the gospel. They are overseers of the flock, but they are part of the flock. And And secondly, how can they, uh, how can they be pure from the blood of all men? And thirdly, the knowledge required for their work. Now these three things are absolutely necessary uh, to an overseer of a congregation. The first is the responsibility of the ministers of the gospel. The responsibilities of which of the gospel arises uh, from various various conditions and uh, states. Many things are needed to be able to carry out this responsibility. And I would say that the first necessary thing is that the person who is in this position has saving grace. And you know what I mean by saving grace? <clears throat> because there are many graces that come from God which are not saving. Everything that we have, every drop of water, every can kind of bread, every flavour that we enjoy in the world, they are temporal favours or temporal grace and we call it grace because the sinner has never of his own. He forgiven even a drop of water. And every favour that we receive from God comes as grace to him. And we call these our uh, temporal gifts. Uh, grace is a gift but there are, always, there are spiritual graces reaching all people who are under the gospel in a peculiar way which are not saving. All the failures that we have concerning the gospel are not saving. It's a wonderful privilege to be in a position where you can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where you can receive an invitation to partake of the salvation that is in Christ. That is an unspeakable favor to many people. And people have gone all over the world to, to give this favor to people who had it not. Now the, the, the overseer or the minister. Who has these responsibilities? It's absolutely necessary uh, to be partakers of that saving grace, for uh, with the saving grace there comes a knowledge that is obtainable only by coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ. So the, the, the overseer must have a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And probably there is no one in this building who does not know who the Lord Jesus Christ is. It is about him and, and uh, connected with him one way or the other that you hear of every single You're brought up in a, in a situation and in, with privileges where you heard about the, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ into the world and dying in the room and in the place of sinners. Now, without this knowledge, a person would be a dangerous person in any locality or in any, in any congregation. A minister without grace is one of the worst implements that Satan can use. He can turn people away from the very object of life and stand between them and the gate of salvation. And we hear that so often today. We hear a person speaking on radio or on television, and there is not a spark of gospel in it. But to come to enjoy Christ, to come to peace, without realizing what is the peace Or what is the state of the person who is invited to come? Who would leave uh, the the pleasures of sin for a moment to go uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ for something which he didn't want and which he was not aware that he was in need of? Therefore, uh, it is absolutely necessary that the, the overseer or the minister Would have a knowledge of sin, a knowledge of what he was and what he is in himself. And we find concerning all the great preachers in the history of the church, they came down to the situation where they felt condemned, where they had no way whereby they could be saved unless the Lord Jesus Christ stretched out his hand and delivered them. The apostle himself declares it. The commandment came, sin revived, and I died, he says. He couldn't save himself, he felt undone, he felt he was, un- he was unworthy of salvation. He earned the punishment of God forever and ever. Now it is important that a person would know his own condition before he could tell others or warn others concerning what sin is and what sin deserves. It deserves uh, the punishment of God forever and ever and ever. And again, he must learn another great lesson, his own impotence. That apart from the Spirit of God, he can do nothing. The Apostle Paul was a learned highly educated man in the philosophy of the world and in the knowledge of the scriptures he had gone through all these colleges and he was a he was a very uh, knowledgeable man in every way and and he learned this that apart from Christ he could do nothing Though I would speak with the tongues of men and of angels, I am as a sounding brass and templing symbol. Apart from faith in Christ. On the other hand now a person who is an overseer must have faith in God and in Jesus Christ, he must believe that God is able to do far more than he is able to declare or to to refer to. Now the next thing that, that I would draw your attention to is, how can a preacher be pure from the blood of all men? Now it is obvious uh, that the apostle there confines all to those to whom he preached and those to whom he wrote. He wasn't uh, referring to those who never heard the gospel at all, or the people who who he wasn't able to reach. And we find uh, we find uh, the, the apostle referring. Uh, referring to, to the scriptures concerning, concerning this very thing. In, in the Old Testament, which the apostle knew so well, uh, we read uh, in, in, uh, in the book of Ezekiel, uh, Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore hear the word of my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say unto the wicked, Thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will are required at your hand." Now this is the great responsibility of ministers. If he is not warning the sinners that they are under the wrath and the curse of God, that they are in need of being redeemed by Christ, that they need saving faith in order to partake of that salvation, if that is not taught, God will require the the eternal death at the hands of the preacher. And if he does, I didn't continue reading, but if he does one, if he makes it clear that that there is a salvation, prepared by God and offered to them, and if they reject it, but he has warned them, there is no other way of salvation but through the Lord Jesus Christ. If he fearfully warns his people concerning uh, the salvation that is in Christ, he is innocent of their of their guilt. They have to be responsible for themselves. They have rejected it. <coughs> And we read in the New Testament that God is angry with a sinner every day, and some question even the very word of God. They question if God is angry at any time. That that is an emotional feeling and God is not feeling joy and sorrow and things as we do in our affections because he is God, he is intangible in his being. But that would, we we think that that would deprive uh, our view of God of something very important. Uh, His reaction to sin, and his reaction to the grace he himself has placed in the heart of a a person. The way he acts, the way his love comes to one, and the way his anger uh, goes to another. Now what is meant by the anger of God? We do not believe that anger rises and, and and subsides in God as as we understand it. But we can truly say it is a holy revulsion against sin. And he cannot but react in that way against sin. Whatever it is, let it be in the church or in the heathen. The, The preacher therefore has to inform the sinner of his state and of God's attitude to sinners. He is slow to punish, He is ready and to meet the person who sincerely seeks the way of salvation. And there is nothing in this world comparable to the salvation that is in Christ. It is an eternal salvation. The, death is not the end of our existence and uh, that is f- that it it in another sense begins in another way as it never has it never was before and there is life eternal in the presence of the glory of god and with jesus christ and the, <coughs> the mediator of the covenant of grace and of God himself and innumerable number of angels joining with them, praising and enjoying uh, that situation that words cannot describe. There is that to be obtained or the darkness of eternal woe where uh, where uh, where the fire is not extinguished where the pain will never cease when it's an eternal continual uh, uh, state of woe and lamenting. Now we read uh, thirdly uh, the knowledge required for the work of the ministry. And we can easily uh, understand uh, a little about this every one of us, and uh, all that is involved in bringing uh, a spiritual message from heaven. They are, in a way, mediators between God and the people, and bringing the message of God, which is already given in, in the Bible, but trying to explain and clarify uh, things uh, that, that has been revealed. Now we read, wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Now that is a that is a wonderful statement, whatever the apostle meant by it we can be assured that he is not referring to all the counsels of God, because no mere man could be able to understand all the counsels of God. The eternal counsel, the covenant of grace, and all those who took part in it the resolutions that were made before he created anything all he was seeing us as we are here he knew you were to be there and that you were to hear the word of god being spoken today he was seeing it before he created anything there is nothing new coming into his mind know the knowledge required for the work of the ministry and he declares I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Now for myself I am happy to accept that the Apostle here refers To the council to all the council connected with the salvation of his church that he declared what i have already said what god devised a covenant of grace and appointed a mediator and in due time in the fullness of time that mediator came into this world as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief And in that condition, that he repaired or or brought in another way of salvation which the first Adam ruined by the fall. So the apostle, he knew of the mind of God concerning his resolution to save sinners. He knew. Also from the scriptures, from the whole of the scripture, the counsel of God as it was revealed uh, through the prophets, through Moses and the prophets and by the, and by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The counsel of God has, it was contained in the Scriptures of the Old and the New Testament. That that is the counsel to which he refers, and that there was nothing in that counsel that he did not declare. It's not what he liked, and what he should what he should teach to others that appealed to himself. That wasn't his method of declaring the counsel of God that would be only declaring his own counsel and many are doing that sort of thing they harp on the love of God as if there is nothing in God but love and that is the the tendency today to uh, to equate God with love and love is God well we see the ridiculousness of such teaching god is love but god is just god is holy these are are attributes of his being which are clearly declared and god is just in all his ways now the knowledge required of a preacher is to know all that counsel and we know the, we know how wide and how deep and how high that council of God is. You have only to turn uh, to the to the Bible and and see uh, the wisdom of God, His power and His knowledge and His goodness and truth, as well as that He is unchangeable in His being, that He that He is infinite and unchangeable in his being and we cannot understand how these uh, statements concerning the Almighty that he is that he is omnipresent and that he is omniscient. Now that means that he is everywhere. He reaches everywhere. He's there in hell, he's up in heaven, he's in all his creation. And there we would, as the Apostle would say, that he would go to the distant part of the universe. He is there in all his fullness. And he is also in all his fullness with the believer in his secret place, in his, in his closet. He is, he is a God who is everywhere and sees everything. <clears throat> now, Paul himself was used to the revelation that God had given to him concerning creation, concerning the fall of Adam, and concerning his method of salvation. Now remember this, that the apostle was taught in that revelation of God as we had it in the Old Testament he was shown the shadows of things to come. He was shown about the, the sacrifices and, and their meaning and they never penetrated. In spite of all that learning and all these privileges which he received in, from the Old Testament as he was a, a student at the feet of Chameleon, that he was ignorant of the way of salvation. He was actually persecuting the church. Therefore, that the message the church had was taking the very foundation upon which he was building from off his feet. And therefore he wanted to destroy the church and uphold the faith by which he helped and he intended to enter into heaven. Now, well, we might not be as rigorous in attending to these as the apostle, But it's a very liable tendency in every person who attains the, the, the means of grace. I mean that, that, who comes to church uh, regularly or often as often as he can, uh, and base our salvation on, on that alone, that we are doing all that we can. We are coming to church. And we hearing, and we read the, we reading the Bible. But if you will, if you will look into yourself and into your own life and question, what to do you do? You really want to be saved? Would you rather be saved right you? Would you really pray that the Lord Jesus Christ would now by the Holy Spirit enter your heart? Can you truly really tell? On his throne, that you no would like to be saved. Well, the Apostle Paul had, a, had his own way, like many others. Uh, the Pharisees, of which he was one, remember, was not a person who was doing what, he, what they were doing in order to receive people. They were doing it for a far higher, higher thing. A they were doing it in order to get eternal life in heaven with go- in glory. That is, the, that is why they were so strict. They, they based it upon their own work, giving obedience to the law. Now we can do something similar by giving ultimate obedience to the gospel. And we, we assume that uh, if we give Outward obedience to the gospel, that God therefore will not cast you away. Well, that will not save anyone. That will not save. That will not save a person, whatever though he would give his body to be burned, and all his substance to feed the poor, it wouldn't cleanse away one spot of season. There is nothing that can save the sinner but the blood of Jesus Christ. And the the, the Apostle Paul uh, uh, reminds us of this in verse 21 he points to it and tried to look at it testifying both to the jews and to the greeks now you have the two kinds of, of people there those who were religious they were basing their their salvation on the law these are the jews and the greeks that testifying both to the jews and also to the greeks repentance toward God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the two cardinal things in scriptures. That is the way of salvation, repentance towards God. Now repentance is a grace of God. Whereby are we turned back to God with full intent of re- re- departing from our sins and coming to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. That turning is turning back to God as he is revealed to us in Christ. And faith, on the other hand, it's not just faith that Jesus Christ came into the world, but receiving faith and resting upon him, is either the two things. It's not just believing that Christ came, but receiving him and resting upon him has the only foundation, has the only way by which you can be saved. And the salvation, immediately you turn to God, and exercise that faith upon Christ that you have nothing else but rest upon Christ alone for your salvation, then immediately you are justified. Wonderful blessings will flow from the throne of God to the person who repents and believes in Jesus Christ. He is immediately justified and the justification is not just to make your heart better or to to put new graces into your into your heart it is actually God imputing to you the righteousness which Christ brought out in this world and especially the death which he, which he suffered at Calvary. He died in the room and in the place of sinners. And at, he made an atoning sacrifice. And all that he did in his, in his pilgrimage through the world, honoring the law and exalting it and glorifying God, loving God with all his heart, loving his neighbor as himself, that's, that's the perfection that he continued doing all the time he was in the world and then offering himself as an atoning sacrifice unto God. And God poured upon him the wrath and the anger that he that that should be poured upon the sinners. He poured it upon Jesus Christ in the room and in his place of his church. And now when you believe in Jesus Christ, that immediately what Christ has done, the obedience he gave, the death he suffered, is imputed to you. It's imputed to you as if you had done it yourself, as if you had done it on your behalf. And here then God pronounces you justified. There is no, and he cannot punish you for for he has already punished Christ. You are delivered uh, from the punishment of sin. You are a just person in the sight of God. And the second great privilege that follows upon that is that immediately you're justified. He adopts you into his family. Now could you have a greater reward and a higher situation anywhere than to be adopted into the family of God. If, the, if you were adopted into a royal family in this world, see, you would be made a prince. But that is nothing in comparison to be a prince with God. That is the status which Jacob received he became Israel a prince with God and that applies to all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as his personal Savior he is justified and then adopted into the family all the, all the money in the world although you possess the whole world it wouldn't give you that status it's God himself who does this he's adopting the person into his family and he can truly call him his father through the Lord Jesus Christ and it doesn't stop at that He then gives us the Holy Spirit to dwell in us. And the Holy Spirit when he comes into the sinner casts away the, the idolatry, the idols in the heart. Whatever idol is there, many have different idols in their heart. They are cast down and the Holy Spirit indwells in the heart of the person who believes in Jesus Christ and he comes under the influence of the Holy Spirit and therefore he is sanctified immediately. These things follow one another and you cannot put one before the other. The, The Holy Spirit comes to indwell in the heart of the believer and thereby they're called saints because the Holy Spirit sanctifies the believer. And you find the apostle are referring to the saints at Corinthus at Colossae and wherever the church is. he calls them saints because they are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And they become spiritually minded and they begin to understand the things of God and then they become, then they become uh, spiritually minded, they understand spiritual things which they never understood before. The Bible becomes new, the preaching of the gospel, uh, they, can begin, they begin to understand, they have a spiritual experience and they go on learning more and more about the mystery of redemption and more and more about themselves. They thought they knew the kind of persons they were, but never in the way in which they learn about themselves when the Holy Spirit enlightens the mind, not only in the knowledge of Christ, but in the knowledge of themselves. And they never thought they were such creatures as they are. And they see the things in which, the views they had before, all things Become new. They are in a new world and they are in a new life and they have a new destination. God is their Father and they are on the way there. And whatever difficulties are in the way, they have the powerful Jehovah behind them and in them. And it tells them, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not despair, for I am thy God. And you can go through fire and water and they will not forsake you and what can be compared to that looking to an eternal salvation to an inheritance that shall never fade away and to be joined with that glorious union on the right hand of the majesty on high where christ is interceding now and inter- now, will you ask him that you might have a place in his intercession? That he would please uh, inter- intercede for yourself so that the word of God would enter in you and enlighten your mind and understand that you are a sinner and worthy of the least, but yet that you need the greatest of all to be saved from yourself and from the are evil of Satan, say the way you are as you are in your sin. Uh, evil angels, evil demons, Satan can whisper into your heart, but when you, if you come under the Lord Jesus Christ, other good angels can be ministering to you. They are the servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. The whole multitude of the, of the holy angels are at the, are at the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. He could have called on 12 legions of angels in Gethsemane if he cared to do so. When he told Peter to, to, to seize with the sword, the whole, all was hindering, and he can use it for your salvation for every danger in your life, you, if you're on the side of God, you're on the side of safety, you're, He's be with you in, in, in sorrow, in, in, in joy, or wherever you go, you can set the Lord before you and you can go from strength to strength unwirriedly until you arrive in Zion with everlasting joy upon your head. Well, could we not say that it is a fool who would reject that and carry on in his own life after his own ambitions and spending his life and his money on that which is not bread? Turn, turn ye, turn ye, why should you die? May the Lord bless his word to us. Let us pray. Eternal God, uh, we seek thy blessing upon us. We would thank thee uh, for uh, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ for uh, making us uh, able to accept it. And we beseech thee to remember us now as as we gather together here in connection with the gospel and with one who's beginning his life as a minister of the church we would pray for thy blessing upon him and that he may be used in his service in this corner of thy vineyard and now accept our prayers and bless thine own word and all we ask is in the name and for the sake of Christ our Lord. Amen. Now, before we conclude, uh, I have the pleasure of, of introducing, which is not necessary for me to do, it is not coming uh, to you as a stranger. I'm referring uh, to my son, Kenneth Ian uh, MacLeod, who is beginning as an assistant to Mr. MacLeod in this congregation. And he is is fortunate enough to have uh, experienced life in various ways uh, before he was actually brought to a saving knowledge of Christ. He has been in secular Uh, employment in various places and in various situations and uh, I believe that that is very useful to a minister of the gospel in order to understand uh, the the people to whom he uh, addresses a message of salvation. That he, uh, like Ezekiel, that he could sit where they were sitting. He sat where they sat and that he can understand a part of their trials and part of their difficulties. But he has something else, as, as I was trying to say, he had to learn the, the whole counsel of God. Now although that is taught in divinity halls, uh, they can only uh, teach the mind. but. Uh, everyone who is truly converted comes into the college of the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm fully persuaded that he came to that knowledge and that he knows the Lord Jesus Christ has his personal savior and he teaches his soul and he teaches them sometimes in a way that that uh, they themselves cannot understand that it is a teaching. He brings them into uh, situations that only themselves can truly experience. Each one has his own personal experience and the Lord knows our frame of mind and he teaches according uh, to what we are. And I, I have pleasure in, referring to him as such, as a person who has uh, quite uh, an experience of life, and th- though he's beginning his ministry, he is not just a young a young student just finishing his course at all, he is a person who has already partaken of the trials and difficulties of life, and I pray uh, that he will be prove a true and a helpful assistant uh, to Mr MacLeod in this corner of the vineyard. <clears throat> and we shall conclude this part of